0: Friends, each year on Easter morning, we read John's account of Mary Magdalene going to the tomb, coming back, telling the apostles, and then Peter and John were told, run uh, to the tomb. And on Monday this past week, I came into possession of this uh, painting, which is uh, Peter and John running uh, to the tomb. I don't know how much you'll be able to see from where you're at. No. I just opened it out of the packaging this morning. And um, sort of an interesting story, a, a priest uh, that I spent my first four years with, the pastor that of, in Mansfield, St. Peter's, where I was, uh, he died, unfortunately, pretty suddenly last fall. And so they're just getting around to kind of divvying out different things he had. And so uh, the priest invited us over to See if we wanted any of his vestments and things like that, and any paintings and things from his room. And I saw this uh, Peter and John uh, painting in his bedroom that was unwrapped. He had just ordered it. And the irony is that every year I was there, um, I had the Easter, if I had the Easter morning mass, um, because the traditional theory is always was that John runs faster to the tomb than Peter because John's younger. <laughs> Peter's older. Right? And so I would always joke on Easter morning that um, Father Hyde, in his older age, had put on a few pounds, and he was not, he knew Father hyde he was not quite the athletic type. And so I would always say to the people, if Father Hyde and I raced to the tomb, who would get there first? And he, he always got mad at me that I did this and he would make some joke at the other masses about how he would tackle me and then he would somehow beat me to the tomb or something, or the turtle in the, the hair thing. He would do something with that. So we had this running joke between us about this race to the two monies for morning. And for some reason, he purchased this painting uh, right before he died. So I said, I want that. I literally took it out of the packaging this morning. I reference this every year, and so if you come to my Easter Sunday morning mass, um, there's another possibility of why they were running at different paces. Right? Which is um, maybe one was more excited to see Jesus than the other. And actually, uh, maybe I'll put this out after mass, you'll see this a little on their faces. John, running ahead, is there's like an anxious uh, anticipation. Expectation. I like. I want to see him, and you can see on Peter, he's lagging behind, and he's he's reticent, he's hesitant. You can tell in his face. Like, I don't. I don't know. And I've often thought about that might be the case because of the last time each of them saw Jesus. And if you if you think back to the passion narrative, um, the last time Peter saw Jesus. Right, according to the accounts, is when they look at each other across the courtyard after Peter's just denied Jesus for the third time. The last time he's seen him is then. And so he might be like, you know, I'm not sure I'm gonna see this guy. I always imagine him like rehearsing his his apology speech on the on the wall. So he's lagging behind because he's he's prepping in his mind like you have to make a tough phone call, and so you're like, you're visualizing what you're gonna say. But think of John. john The last time John saw Jesus was at the foot of the cross, where he hands John over to take care of his mom, and vice versa. And so the last time Jesus saw John, John is the hero. John was faithful to the cross, the only apostle that seemingly stayed with him to the very end. John has nothing to worry about. John's excited. It's like a reunion to see Jesus. So Peter's lagging behind. Out of a bit of a fear judgment, what Jesus is going to say, and John is racing ahead with abandon because he can't wait to see the one that he faithfully followed to the cross to the point of the resurrection. I bring this up each year because I always feel like we come to Easter Sunday from various points, uh, maybe in our life and even like morally and spiritually. Like maybe this past year we've felt more spiritually like Peter, right? We've Uh, sort of denied Jesus by the way we live. We've not put a priority on Jesus. Uh, It just hasn't been a big part of our life. Maybe also, maybe on the other side, we come here like John, like this has been a really good year spiritually. It's been a really good year in Lent. We just come to this this day really excited about encountering the empty tomb, and, and we've been really faithful to Jesus. And maybe it's not spiritually, maybe it's just life. Like, we come to this day with heavy hearts, more like Peter, reticent, hesitant to see the empty tomb, because I'm not sure I want Jesus to see what I'm going through. Not sure I want Jesus uh, to have to deal with everything that's going on in my life. right? Or maybe we're in a really good place in our life, like things are just going great, everything's working out, and so we're more like, John, we come to this morning really with a ton of expectation and anticipation. But the, the great thing is, no matter how we get here, they both get to the tomb. Right? They both get to the empty tomb. And in this beautiful gesture, John gets there first, but he, he doesn't go in. He looks in, but he doesn't go in. He lets Peter go in first when he gets there. Not because I think he was deferring to Peter's like primacy in the apostles. That was kind of a traditional view. I think because John is so attentive to the spiritual needs of Peter that he lets John go in, or Peter go in because he knows Peter needs to talk to the Lord one on one. He doesn't. He is not, there's no need for them to reconcile, but Peter has to reconcile. So he, he's attentive to Peter's spiritual needs more than his own. Right? And so it's a beautiful gesture we see. But in either case, both of them see the empty tomb. Both of them will eventually encounter the risen Lord. In a beautiful passage after this, Peter doesn't seem to have encountered the Lord one by one, and it's John again on a boat that will say, that's the Lord on the shore, and Peter jumps out of the boat and go swimming. So again, it's John pointing Peter toward Jesus, attentive to Peter's spiritual needs. Not primarily that he wanted to be with Jesus alone. Right? He wanted time with Jesus. It was more about pointing Peter to the reconciliation that he knew that Peter uh, needed to have. So however we come here this morning, uh, we are welcomed at the tomb where we need to be. The other thing that kind of puzzles me about this gospel is it says, it ends with, for they did not understand what Jesus' rising from the dead meant. And I don't know, I always grew up thinking like the apostles kind of knew what was coming. You know, they... Jesus talked about rising from dead in his ministry, and so like they should have known what the heck was about to happen, you know. But in the in the current milieu of the time, in terms of what people thought about the afterlife, right? Even in the even in the Old Testament, it's kind of a a, a bag of mixed messages, right? If, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there was some thought that life just over. There's not really anything afterlife. You see that in some of the Old Testament uh, texts. Then there sort of emerges this idea of like that everybody that dies goes to this kind of shadowy underworld that they call Sheol in Hebrew. Sort of a I don't know like this eternal waiting room, uh, which is, sounds like most doctors' offices, but it's like it's like that, you know, where you just sort of chill there. Um, then you do start to see in the later Old Testament books toward the time of Jesus, there starts to emerge a little bit of a belief in maybe like an afterlife, a resurrection, some kind of vindicator or redeemer who was going to, um, to make a remedy for all the injustice in the world, that there might be a judgment of the just and the unjust. right? But at the time of Jesus, these things are all floating around. We see them even in the various Jewish groups, the Sadducees, for example, that Jesus engages with—they don't believe in the afterlife, right? But the Pharisees, Jesus also engages with—they do believe in the afterlife. So these things are all floating around. So when Jesus is saying to the apostles, "I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day," right? They don't know what to make of it. They don't have a category for understanding what that means. There's not a whole tradition of understanding what resurrection from the dead looks like. And so they're as surprised going to the tomb and what they discover after as as any of us would be if somebody raised was rise from the dead. And you see that in the in the faces on these two. Even though John I think is kind of anxiously anticipating in his face in this painting, they're both kind of like we have no idea what we're going to see when we get there. We have no idea what this means. And of course what Jesus is going to show them in the resurrection and the and the 40 days after it's just all new it's all full of surprises and so that's my second takeaway this morning is god is full of surprises for our future like we can't we can't just impose what we think god's going to do what we think should happen part of the the glory of this day is that god did something really new something sort of unexpected right a surprise Right? And we like to have our lives completely scripted. And, and some of that is good, right? We should plan and all this stuff. But it can't be like that because God will miss God. We will miss what God wants to do new with the preconceived categories that we might project onto God. So they go to that tomb that morning and their entire life changes from that day forward. Their entire life changes. And they become people they never thought they were capable of becoming. The rest of their lives. They travel throughout the whole world, right, preaching the good news. These often simple fishermen from Galilee. Their whole life changes because of this surprise that God brought about. And they had to be open to that encounter with something that, that blew up the mold and the categories that they had expected. So friends, as we come to the empty tomb this morning, um, you know, the first takeaway is whether we're like Peter or John, spiritually with our life, we belong here. We belong in the empty tomb. We belong uh, at the altar of Jesus' sacrifice, which is the continuation of his resurrected body that we receive uh, as food. We belong here. Whether we spiritually were ready to be here or we were dragged along uh, by our parents to come to this Mass, we, be- we belong here. And the second takeaway is let God surprise you this year with what God wants to do. Let ourselves be transformed by the power of the Lord's death and resurrection so that he can do things in our lives that we just don't anticipate, that we don't know, we don't understand, we don't yet have the categories for, because God is a master at surprises, and surprises which are always meant uh, for our good. And so let's uh, just approach uh, this altar with the confidence of Jesus' death and his resurrection, that he has defeated sin, that he has conquered eternal death, and that he gives us the promise of new life, new life that he wants for all of us.